Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message. Has God ever made you mad? Don't say it in church, you'll be killed. (laughs) Has God ever made you mad? Has he ever done anything that caused you to become angry? I mean, you don't have to raise your hand. Just be honest inside or your soul will shrivel right here. Has God ever made you angry? Or another question is, how do you and I respond when God challenges us? How do you respond when God challenges you? Those are really big questions because Until God challenges us and until we come to to sort of face-to-face with the powerful nature of who God is, we're never going to be free and we're never going to experience the depth of love and knowledge and life that God has for us. Because I contend that This whole world was made by God for God. You and I were made that way. Some would disagree, and that's fine. But from what I see, there seems to be ample evidence that God is alive and well and among his creation. You see, what we're going to find in our Traveler series today with a guy by the name of Moses is that Moses had come from slave lineage, raised in Pharaoh's home, killed a person out in the wilderness for 40 years. Now he reappears on the stage at age 80. He is a guy who is there because he believes that God wants to free a group of people who are enslaved to Egypt and all its power and all of their wealth. He believes that. He believes that God is calling him specifically because God had taken a people group from a promised family of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and grown them up for over 400 years in Egypt in the land of Goshen. What the difference will be between the people of God and Pharaoh is this. How we respond to God's challenges can or will free us or harden us against Him. How we respond to God's challenges in our lives to us personally, country, however they may come, will either free us up if we harden our If we soften our hearts to God, we'll be more free. And God will lead us into a promised land that we were meant to live in. That's the picture we get with the children of Israel. But if we see that what this world offers is at the peak and the pinnacle of it all, then God becomes for us a agent of threatening, threatening to disturb our power, our prestige, and it becomes about 
our pride against God himself. This is a telling story, but I believe it's very important for us today, primarily because God challenges in this passage one of the most, I mean, if not the most powerful person living at that time. I don't know about you, but I've always been very curious about Egyptian archaeology and Egyptian literature and just all of the stories, all of the dynasties. It's so, you know, just all the images and the pageantry and the amazing tombs and what they were uh, designing for the afterlife and so forth. These people spent a lot of time, especially those in power, considering themselves. It's okay to do that if there is no God. Because there is no moral authority to test. You say, well, yes, there is. There's a consensus of people. Okay, good. We'll see how long that lasts. Changes every 10 or 15 years. Right? I mean, just think about it. 40 years ago, people were walking around in bell-bottoms. You remember that? Mini skirts and bell bottoms? Who said that was okay? Okay, that wasn't funny. I appreciate it if you'll reject the next joke because that one just wasn't funny. It didn't deserve laughter. Here's the thing. God is going to do something with Pharaoh and he's going to do something with his people. His people were languishing in slavery, hard labor, manipulation, not being treated as citizens. They were suffering. And God said, I heard my people's cry and I'm going to do something about it. But there's someone who would stand in his way. But as we'll see, he doesn't do a very good job. He has a how dare you moment. Any of you ever have a how dare you? Have you ever said that? How dare you? It gets you pretty, you got to be pretty worked up to get to the I dare you kind of thing. I was at, uh, not Sprouts, but uh, Prairie to Joe's the other day, and I like, I like getting to know people that, that handle my food. It just seems like a good thing, you know, kind of size them up, talk to them. Hands clean there? How often do you wash your hands? Well, anyway, I was checking out, and I was getting a bunch of uh, sparkling water. Didn't have the right price, and so I, I got the one with, you know, <clears throat> clementine and something else, and it's really good. So the person who was ringing me up said, oh, it, it keeps coming up mandarin orange. I'll just, I'll just type in mandarin orange. And for some reason, out of nowhere, in the weirdness of my, uh, you know, either plunging blood sugar or, or rising, whatever it was, I said, I won't stand for it. If it says Clementine, I want Clementine on my ticket. And we both laughed for a long time, and we didn't know why. But that's as close as I've been to a how dare you in a long time. (laughs) Exodus chapter 4, verse 21. Here we go. The Lord said to Moses, when you return to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders I gave you the power to do, but I will harden 
his heart so that he will not let his people go. You see, God said, I'm going to liberate these people. Moses earlier wanted to help his people, but he killed a guy and had to go hide out for 40 years. God says, I heard my people, and I am going to take care of them and bring them out. But, so, so Moses goes. He goes with his brother, and he tells Pharaoh, hey, Pharaoh, the Lord God of Israel says, let my people go. But Pharaoh responded to Moses, get this. I don't know the Lord, and I will not let the people go. And he mocked them. He mocked God. I'm not going to let him. I don't know who this is. Haven't you seen lately how big my hat is? I mean, I'm Pharaoh. I'm the guy, and I'm not going to let him go. He said, let him go out, and, and they, they want to have a feast and observe a festival out in the wilderness. He said, no way. So he calls his people in, and he says, listen, these guys are being lazy. I don't want these lazy people. They're supposed to work hard and to get their stuff done, and so I'm going to punish them a little bit for even asking. So uh, the, the Israelites, the slaves there, what we're going to do is they're, they're making bricks, you know, uh, mud bricks, making adobe, but we're not going to give them any straw, but we're going to to make sure that they keep the quota. They're going to have to go gather the straw and keep the quota. Well, people started suffering worse, and Pharaoh liked it. How dare you, how dare you approach me like that? And this is what happens. Moses was approached by God and said, go to your people and tell them what's going on. And Moses was like, but I stutter. He was like, I don't know, if you're 100 years old or older, you'll get this. But he was like the singer Mel Tillis. Yeah. Yeah, you're over 100. I saw you right now. <clears throat> he said, I can't speak. Okay, good. Let's get your brother. A few years older than you. He, has, he speaks well. He can go with you. And so they do what he says. And they finally go to the people. And the people are like, thanks a lot, Moses. Thanks a lot, Aaron. You did a really good job of diplomacy with Pharaoh there. Now we have to do twice the work and we're really oppressed. But it was God's plan all along because liberation was on the way. Exodus chapter 6, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you'll see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of this his country. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob as God Almighty, and by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself fully known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Cana, where they reside as foreigners, where they resided as foreigners. Moreover, I've heard the groanings of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Human beings invented slavery. We're really good at stuff like that. We're good at taking a beautiful planet, all the natural resources, and turning it into mayhem and craziness. 
Do you think that God had intended human beings to live the way that they were in Egypt? Some lifted high, some lording over, presenting themselves as gods before their people, elaborate tombs, elaborate everything, statues of themselves everywhere. It's the pinnacle of saying, it's all about me. I did it my way. That's it. And then God takes his people, that, a nation that he's growing, and he makes a promise to them, I'm going to give you a land, and I'm going to bless the whole earth. You see, there's this program that he is creating, this path of understanding through this, I look kind of like Preston the Great there. I don't know if I was going to bring a bird out of that or <laughs> what. It's embarrassing publicly. Hands to the side. Okay. God is giving us a path and a direction how he's going to, to, to speak to us and to, and to show us a, kind of a pathway for us to follow. And he does that with this group of people. He takes them into a very wealthy place, flooded by the, uh, the delta there. What a place. But they become slaves in that place. And they begin to moan out to God and cry out to God. And one of the things we need to know there, where there is injustice, and I'm not talking minor injustice fraction, fra- um, infractions, but what I'm talking about is when people are being subjugated by other people and held down. Don't you think for one moment that God doesn't hear that? Don't you think for one moment that God doesn't care and that isn't important to him? You see, it was important for his people to experience the best that the world could offer. Egypt, beautiful, wonderful. We go there. It's a great place to vacation. Just don't become enslaved while you're there. It's remained for the Christian church and others a a picture of the world, all the trappings But ultimately, enslavement is there, and God says, I want you to be free, and I'm going to bring you out. Now, when God does this, we have to consider who he uses as a mouthpiece, as a representative, right? Now, if it were me, because I'm weak and I think less than God does, I I would say if I was going to send somebody to Pharaoh, I would talk to probably my burliest angel, Hey, over here, you with the big wings, come on. See that Pharaoh has all these gods everywhere, worshiping everything. He thinks he's a god, he's in charge. Scare him. Scare him to death. Tell him that if he doesn't let the people go, you're going to come down there and pull his skin off of his body. That's how I would take care of Pharaoh, right? Next day, Pharaoh wakes up, hey, 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 guys, you know, I'm rethinking this whole uh, slave thing out in Goshen. You know, maybe we could let them go. Might be a good thing. What do you think? God doesn't do it that way. Why? Because he's smarter and better than we are. He's going to teach a lesson to the whole world for history that follows this moment to develop a pattern of the way that he works. God took a guy but, but, but Moses, he took Moses. By the way, if you stutter, 
I don't say it's a bad thing. It wasn't a bad thing for Moses. He became one of the greatest leaders in the world. But he didn't want to speak in front of people. Here's the point. God took a guy who was born to slaves during a time that the current pharaoh of that time had babies thrown into the water, male babies, to kill them so that there would be less. Winds up in Pharaoh's house, eventually kicked out, kills a person, but he's someone who, at best, no one remembered much about him. All that Pharaoh knows now is that he's a representative of the slaves. Slaves are here, Pharaoh's here. Slaves are here, Pharaoh's here. You send me one of these people with your brother, and you can't even speak for yourself? Your brother has to speak for you? Really? Wow. Consider who God sends. Pharaoh looked at it as weakness, as a folly. Who did you send to me? But notice the way God thinks about it. Exodus 7.1. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be like your prophet. You are to say everything I command you, and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go from the country. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. You see, God said, look, you, ex-murderer, ex-slave, living out in the desert, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to send you to this guy who thinks he's a God. And I'm going to make you my representative. The Hebrew in this says, it doesn't say like a God. He says, he will be unto you, you'll be unto him as God. And Aaron as prophet. That's how much representation I'm giving you. You say, well, why would he do something like that? Because God is constantly coming against the arrogance of this world. We're told by Paul, the apostle, God has chosen the foolish things to confound the wise. If you see God doing something with someone that seemingly is weak and foolish, look out. It may be God. We always like the most powerful and the most amazing. Put that person up there. They're the best looking ones. Why do, we, why do be, the best looking people win beauty contests? I'm just wondering. I've never been asked to enter into a contest. And I think there's a reason. <clears throat> but if I did win a contest, everyone would say, it's the Lord. <laughs> okay, I'm back on track. Now, God chooses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. When Jesus, the promised Messiah, comes, he comes as a son of a carpenter in a backwater place, and he will be the Savior of the world. How ridiculous could that be? It is God has established his pattern that I am going to confound 
the wise. Because I don't want you looking at another human being and worshiping them and missing out on me. You get that? You, I mean, that's, that's the deal. So what happens? God is going to harden his heart. Now, when you hear this phrase, God hardened his heart or I will harden his heart, it doesn't mean that God is going to magically, you know, the, Pharaoh was such a nice guy until God met him. He was so nice. No, no, no. It's not like God reaches in magically and, ah, I'm going to harden your heart. No. It, it, it's more natural than that. Say, like, I could tell a friend, I'm going to go over and talk to that person. They're going to be mad at me in one minute. Oh, really? How are you going to do that? Watch this. And you just go over there and challenge them and insult them for a little bit, and pretty soon they're mad at you. How do you make a guy hardened and mad against you? You challenge them. Somebody that thinks that they're the, the cat's meow. Boy, that really dates me, doesn't it? All right. Uh, somebody, I'm not even from that era. I don't even know why I said that. But you understand that someone who thinks so highly and so proud of themselves, who is this slave and who is your God? I'll mock both of you. God says, that is the person I'm going to get. He is going to think, continue to think so much of himself that he's going to harden and become recalcitrant every time that I touch him. But something different happens with the Israelites. They're confused. They don't really know what they should do. They, they, get, they get bummed out. In fact, once they're uh, saved and they head out into the wilderness, they still complain. No perfect people here. The difference was, is someone, God said, look, I want to free you and take you out of this mess. And they knelt to that. They could have said, well, we don't want to go because everything's so nice here. Yeah, but it's not that nice. He's turned up the steam. It's not that good. Okay, we'll listen to you, God, and we'll follow you. Those folks became free. Pharaoh, because of his own pride and those who would oppose God because of their own pride will find themselves becoming more hardened, more hardened, and more disaster. Plagues were sent. I looked at the dictionary of what a plague is, and it is a contagious disease that spreads rapidly and kills many people. An unusually large number of insects or animals infesting a place or causing danger like a plague of fleas. If we're looking for other words, the thesaurus says it this way. It's disease, sickness, epidemic. Contagious, pestilence, infestation, epidemic, invasion, swarm, multitude. You, you get the picture here. God was going to send this person who ruled what he knew as the world, and God was going to shake his world. So he sent him plagues. Everything that he thought that he had made and that he had done, God was going to have him bring into question. You say, wait a minute, you just mentioned epidemic. Yeah, I did. It's pretty close to pandemic. Pan from the Greek all. big question we should be asking ourselves is what's God trying to tell us? 
And is my heart going to be hardened by this? Or is it going to be softened? Am I going to be led to destruction or am I going to come out of slavery into freedom? Which one will it be? First, he sent him blood in the Nile. Killed everything, made everything stink. Next, frogs. The next stinkiest thing in the world, frogs. Covered everything. And then after that, you had gnats everywhere. I mean, that's enough right there. Okay, God, whatever you want to do. Flies, gross flies everywhere. Plague on livestock, killing the livestock. Boils, gross. I don't know if you watch much TV or have insomnia, but if you do, there is something. It's not for the squeamish, but uh, there is a show that my wife and I watch from time to time, and it's called Dr. Pimple Popper. It's really gross. It's really gross. Come on in here. Well, Doc, I've had this thing for a number of years. It's just gotten so big. I, you know, I thought I'd have somebody to look at it. And they, you know, take their shirt off and reveal the other head that's grown right there on their arm. Yeah, it's kind of big. <laughs> Boils are gross. Hail, lightning. Locust eating everything in sight, eating all of your gardens, all of your crops. Darkness, the terrifying darkness was unrelenting. All of these things should have been an indicator, but as we read through the passages, what we find is that, that you know, for a minute Pharaoh was impressed, but then he hardened his heart. He hardened his heart. He hardened his heart. You can't let the people go. You can't let the people go. He could have saved his country and, and with all of these problems taking place if he would have just submitted to God and go, okay, you win. I don't know how you put blood in the Nile River, but let's get you people get out of here. No more destruction of property. Now, it wasn't just a practical national issue with this king. It was also a spiritual statement that he was making. Because humanity loves to make gods and goddesses everywhere and worship them. I don't know why, but we do. We have gods in this country. Did you know that? People worship idols. Really, in this country. There's a television show, American Idol. Think about it. Yeah. Okay. Gnats. I mean, blood. You have the god apiece, the bull god, the Nile. Ram. You have the frog god, Heptet, or Heket. You have the gnats, Set. You have the flies, which is uh, Re, another god, sun god. You have the death of the livestock, Hathor, the goddess with the cow, Apis with the bull. You have boils, okay? <laughs> Shechemet, <laughs> there's a god that has power over diseases. Hail, nut, nut god. 
And you also have locusts and darkness and all of that. There were gods who oversaw all of these things in Israel. So if there was a real God, if they were really gods at work, surely they should have been able to resist the power of the one true living God, Yahweh, Adonai, the Lord. But they weren't. They were just made up. And when the chips were down, God had his say. Now, I know that many of you out there might be thinking, well, you know, again, Christians pronouncing doom and gloom for the world. Their God is a vengeful God. He's going to do bad things. But there's no God. Did these things happen normally? Listen, folks. It's been over 3,000 years. And we're still worshiping and worshiping and worshiping. People are either worshiping gods of their own fashion. Christians, we can do that. Psychologists even give it a name. It's called projection. You project what you think God should be. Well, I just think God's a sweetheart, kind of like me. Wouldn't hurt a fly. He'd put them everywhere in Egypt, but he wouldn't hurt one of them. God is not like you or me. God has created all of this for a completely different reason than we, than we think with our own understanding. Because after all of this was said and done, the final plague, the tenth one that came along, was known as the death of the firstborn, when God would send a, an angel of death throughout the camp. And every firstborn male would die that night. And so the Israelites had to make uh, preparation. They were to take a lamb, perfect little lamb, slay it, and put the blood on the doorpost of their home so that when the angel passed by, he would see the blood and then the firstborn wouldn't die. You catch all of this. One Pharaoh had sent the Israelite children to their death, boys. He shows up and he says, okay, you won't let any of my people go? I'm going to tell you, I'm going to break you and I'm going to take your firstborn, your legacy of your land. He said, that sounds kind of mean. Folks, I don't know if you know who we're dealing with when we're dealing with God. He's got a name and a reputation because he's not from a storybook. God shines in love. I mean, is God love? Yes. He's the creator. And you and I hold different positions than he does. And so you can be like Pharaoh and be arrogant and be, and be prideful, but it doesn't make you right. It doesn't make you anything more than what he says. All right. So that happened. And we're going to cover next week some of the exodus and leaving and all that that entailed. But the big question for us is, who is the boss? And how should I respond to the boss? It may be bothersome to some and say, well, I don't want to think about God. 
I don't care about your petty religion. I don't want to have anything to do with this. It's not scientific. It's not worth anything. It just makes people feel better. It's like a nice religious Tylenol. Problem is, we haven't been able to shake God in this world. He keeps appearing and reappearing. He keeps interjecting into history. Some of your deepest thoughts and your greatest concerns have been questioned or brought up this past year, haven't they? I mentioned the the word COVID. What does that mean to you? Some would say it's Satan. Satan's just trying to break up the church. God wants people, Satan wants people to cover their, their mouths. Or maybe it's God wants people to cover their mouths so they won't talk so much. I don't know. But I think the bigger question we should ask is, God, what are you trying to tell us? Not, this is not fair. This is not good. If you're a good God, you shouldn't be, be quiet. Soften your heart. Ask God the right question. What are you trying to tell us? What are you trying to tell us? My ears are open. My eyes are open. This is your world. Speak to me. See, that's how should we respond to God? Here's the deal. How we respond to God and his challenges either frees us or hardens us against him. It either frees us up or hardens us against him. So how should we respond to him? You know, God, for some reason, being unique, decided to make this earth and this world. He said at the beginning it was a garden. And if you look around at the natural resources that we've destroyed, this place is pretty amazing. Everything that you would need for human flourishing. And he set himself in relationship to mankind. But once that relationship was marred, mankind started killing, subjugating people, enslaving people, taking advantage of people, doing horrible things. All the horrible things, the majority of all of those things have happened at our hands. People wonder, why is God mad? Why isn't he mad? I put your people in my backyard and look what you've done. You're back there killing each other. Oh, you got yourself some slaves over there? That's not so. All of that is elevated without God. No, I can do it myself. Well, when humans are cut loose to do what they want to, Nobody, nobody has an advantage. Am I thankful for the technology, the science that we have now? Yes. People get excited about vaccines. Why? Because it's hope that I might survive this plague. I'm excited every time I turn on the water and water comes out. I'm not walking five miles down to a river with a bucket picking it up. I'm excited about that. But does that mean that somehow I've lived beyond the need for the living God, my creator? Absolutely not. 
Absolutely not. We catch, okay, if, if we think of this rightly, God is the one who has created all of this and God creates all of this to show us something about himself. It has to be some act of self-expression with a group of people that he's designed and created. That he has a desire to reveal himself. I used to sell art for many years. And my friend Art, he just said, would you please stop selling me? I just can't stand it. But we dealt in fine art. And one of the things I, that was imperative for me, I quickly learned in order to, to, to help someone purchase a, a painting or a, a sculpture, was to get to know the artist and be able to explain to the person who the artist was, their motivation, their training, and so forth. And on a sculpture every once in a while, I would look for them because they were great selling points. If there was a thumbprint or a fingerprint that was left somewhere on the bronze that had initially been either wax or clay, you say, there's a thumbprint of the maker. You see, the art is beautiful. The earth is beautiful. God's creation of human beings is beautiful. But who we are says more about our creator. That's, that's the big issue. It's his expression. His work of art is reflective of who he is and his nature. Romans chapter 1, Paul the apostle knew this very, very well. He said, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what is being made, so that people are without excuse. For all they, <clears throat> although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and foolish hearts were darkened, hardened. Although they claimed to be wise, became fools and exchanged the glory of the mortal God for the image, images made to look like a mortal human, birds, animals, and reptiles. We can control other humans, can't we? Why not have a human-looking God? We can control animals, birds, other creatures here on this earth, why not make gods out of them? Because ultimately, in human rebellion, there is the desire to be God and to be control of everything. And God says, no. I haven't designed you this way, and I haven't designed the world this way. If you're considering God, I want to tell you, If this is all just some kind of religious thing, it doesn't really matter what goes on. It doesn't. You say, well, you Christians always say that. There are certain moral things that we hold to in this world. Yeah, but it all came from here. A few exceptions. 
You have to depart from it and deny it in order to claim it your own. My friends, I will submit to you that I believe that God has created us to know him and to enjoy him forever. And when he challenges us, our job is to respond with humility. Looking to him with joy, not, ah, not God again. Not the God idea again. God idea is getting me. God wants us to head out to enjoy him. Imagine loving the art of someone and saying, you know, would you like to meet the person? Oh, no. They don't even need to exist. I just enjoy the art. Yeah, yeah, but they do exist. Oh, who knows who ever did this art? Do you really want to miss out? I don't think you should. I wouldn't want to miss out. Because everything that we see and know is leading us to him. And everything, if you have eyes to see, if you have ears to hear, you and I begin to see what God wants us to see. You want to miss out on that? Do you know that if you, and again, this is not meant to state that this is for only perfect people. The Israelites were so good and moral and wonderful, and the Egyptians were so bad, and so that's the way things work. End of the Sunday school story. Go back to class. Hmm. They were a mess. They got out of, and were freed, and they complained and like, oh, we love the, the food back in Egypt. What did you do bringing us out here? They weren't perfect. Didn't even deserve it. But God was teaching them and God teaching the world through them. And if we don't see these things, we're going to just miss out forever. Folks, if we let go of our pride and give in to God, we're going to see things, see what he wants us to see. In my house, I have two dogs. I've spoken of them often. They love me. And they, I might say that they worship me, but I won't say that. But I know they love me. And when something goes on, like there's a sound outside, there's a cat noise, someone drives by the house really quickly. First thing they do is they look at me. What do we do? How do we think? How do we respond? We'll do anything you tell us to. And if I go, get them. Boy, they're out. They're going for it. They're having fun. Or Shh, be quiet. They're quiet up. They're, but, but they'll look to me and like, okay, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? And you're like, you, should, you could chide the dogs. And say, you should think more independently. Why? <laughs> I'm the best thing they got going. The one for me, they'd be out in the prairie out there with a, you know, buzzard over the top of them, kind of pecking their innards out. I'm the best thing that happened to them. Are you kidding me? 
Friends, if we start looking to God, I'm not saying you're going to become a dog, but if you start looking to God, do you realize that we have the possibility of seeing the Creator face to face, to gazing upon the true and living in God? I don't know about you, but that captures me. It captures me, man. Just to see him would be the greatest moment of my life. What's going to be the greatest moment of your life? Well, I suggest that you call upon Jesus. He said, there's no way into the Father except by me. No way. If you want to see him, you need to see his son. Ask him for forgiveness Ask him to reveal himself to you, and you're going to start a journey that you'll never regret. It may not be easy, but you'll love it. Because God wants to free you, not harden you. Father, thank you for our time together. Thank you for these wonderful people. Thank you for those who've stopped in online. And Lord, we come to you not knowing everything, but Lord, we have to exert here that we believe that you are alive and well and active and you have a plan. And Lord, if we fit into that plan, hallelujah. Lord, help us to live beyond our pride and live free with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you please stand? This concludes today's message. We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. nccabq.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us. So until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May God smile on you and gift you. May God look you full in the face and make you prosper. Have a great week.